Welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. This is a show where my guests and I explore and expand on all things mindset, leadership, and communication. On the show, I interview inspiring leaders, business owners, and entrepreneurs from all walks of life, where they share their stories, experiences, and lessons. This is a podcast for you if you're looking to learn, grow, and accelerate your life, career, and who you are. Hi, and welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. Wherever you are around the world, day or night, I hope you enjoy today's episode. And I'm super excited, and I'm going to cut to the chase and introduce you to Richard Triggs. So Richard Triggs um, is the owner of Arate Executive, which is one of Australia's leading recruitment companies. He works across all industries and all role families, from mid-level management roles through to CEO and board positions. He and his business also provide a variety of career coaching services to support senior executives and board directors as they go about their job search. Arete is a Greek word that really means the fulfillment of one's potential. Those that know me know I love other words from other countries that have a meaning that we can bring into what we do. So welcome, Richard. It is wonderful to be here, Renee, and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, been really looking forward to chatting to you today. I love I love that you work obviously with job seekers, but you also look with the work with the hiring managers, and I think that's such a beautiful way to to, to bridge what you do. I'd love to just kick off for our listeners and our viewers um, around how have you got to do what you're doing today? What's led you on this path? Uh-huh. Okay, well, uh, I'll keep it short. But uh, so I, I went to high school and. Uh, when I was at high school, I, I really had grand aspirations to being a rock and roll star. I, uh, you know, I loved, uh, you know, uh, rock music and playing guitar. And and uh, when I finished high school, I started a business degree, but I dropped out and toured Australia for about four or five years uh, playing band, uh, playing guitar in bands. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, had some moderate success. Uh, ended up moving to Melbourne for a year. We were about to be signed by a major label. Unfortunately, that fell through. And while I was in Melbourne, um, I uh, was getting guitar lessons from the lead guitarist from the Little River Band. And this is back in 1991. And the Little River Band were probably one of, if not the biggest band in Australia. And their lead guitar, I think Johnny Farnham was their singer at the time. And uh, the lead guitarist still had to teach guitar to make enough money to feed his family. Wow. And I so I rang my parents and I said, I think I need to come home and go back to uni. So <laughs> so uh, that, that was... Experiences shape the path we take. Oh, for sure. So I, uh, so I, with my tail firmly between my legs, I went home and uh, got a degree and got a real job. So uh, I still play music and I've got a couple of albums on Spotify and have uh, fun as a hobby, but... Um, yeah, so I, I got a degree in marketing and HR. I went and worked for um, uh, in the building services industry for James Hardy and then for uh, P&O. Yeah. And then uh, in my early 30s, um, 
I went back to university to do an executive MBA. And at the time, I was working for a company. My boss uh, had just turned 50. He'd taken equity in the business. You know, he was essentially the the CEO. I was the COO um, or equivalent. And uh, I thought, well, there's not really any career pathing opportunity here for me. So I went to see a recruiter that I'd actually been a client of, and uh, and that recruiter said to me, oh, had you, have you ever thought about working in the recruitment industry? So like uh, I think most people, I just kind of fell into recruitment. I'd never had – it was never on my radar as something that I aspired to do, but um, I got into recruitment and I loved it. And I, I recognised very early that it wasn't hard to stand out as a recruiter. In fact, um, I worked for the biggest recruitment company in the world – uh, and I realized if I wanted to be better at the, if I wanted to be better than nine out of 10 recruiters, I only had to do one thing, return people's phone calls, mm, yeah. right? And even today, you know, I'm, I talk to very, very senior executives every day. And what is their biggest complaint? You know what, Richard, when I was hiring, these recruiters wouldn't leave me alone. Now that I'm looking for a job, I can't even get somebody to return my phone call or reply to my email, which I think is absolutely appalling for an industry that works with people. Our product is people. Right. That's that's what the, that's the industry you're in. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I worked for a company for, uh, I worked for that particular business for a year. Then I worked for another company for about five and a half years. I ended up being an executive director and I sat on their board. Yeah. And then I, I suppose, uh, uh, to politely say, I had a, a different view of the world than the owners of that business. So I ended up exiting. And not long after that, I started Arate Executive. So, we started the business on the 1st of February 2009 at the height of the GFC, probably not the uh, smartest time to start an executive recruitment company, but as the saying goes, fortune favours the brave. And yep. uh, and so here we are nearly 15 years later, um, having a great time, uh, really enjoying the work. I've got a really fantastic team. I feel very privileged to do what I do. And uh, uh, I turned 55 this year and um, life is wonderful. Amazing, amazing. I look, it's I love hearing people's journeys and I always talk about everything that happens to us, which is a gift mindset, is happens for a lesson, I believe. And if we welcome the unwelcome and we all the experiences and people we cross, good or bad, lead us to who we're becoming and who we're continually becoming. And, you know, I have a bit of a soft spot for recruitment. I, I did in my corporate role, I actually did a bit of recruitment in some of my roles um, and I actually work with a few recruiters now just on some of the diagnostics and transition work we do. So I totally get what you're saying. You're in the business of people, connection and providing solutions. And follow-up, follow-up for me is like it's probably my, you know, people go, what's your pet hate? One is people that speed up when you're about to overtake. And they only speed up when you're overtaking. And the other one is people that do not return phone calls or follow up or, you know, I was here, I was there, not even a quick text. I think follow-up, recognition and connecting, it's free and it goes such a long way. And when it's not done, the impact can be quite, you know, people can take it personally, especially when you're out in the job market looking for a role. Oh, completely. And, and you know, I think it's a two-way Street. I mean, I, I often say being a recruiter is a little bit like being a policeman. 
Yeah. Or, but, you know, when somebody's stealing your car or breaking into your house, you want a police from there or police person, you know, there immediately, right? But the rest of the time you don't really want to hang out with them yeah. um, because they're not that much fun. Uh, same thing as being a recruiter. You know, somebody may, uh, I may have a CEO that I'm trying to meet with and contact and they don't reply to emails or, or uh, uh, phone messages and so on. And then all of a sudden I've got a job that they want and they ring me up and they go, oh, Trigsy, oh, it's been so long. How are you? How's the family? Oh, I see you've got this job with them. So, yeah, you have to be very, very resilient as a recruiter. But by the same token, you know, I've, I've constantly hear recruiters saying, today's candidate is tomorrow's client. Yeah. But yeah. they don't actually live it. Right. And so to come back to, so my business, obviously I run a, a national executive search firm. I probably get 15 to 30 people a week who yeah. contact me and say, oh, Richard, I've been talking to Renee and I'm looking for a new job. And, you know, can you offer me yeah. some advice about my job search? So what I decided to do a few years ago is I wrote a book called Uncover the Hidden Job Market. Which I have in my, have this hot little book in my hands. As Excellent. Second edition. Yeah, so the second edition came out probably two months ago. And so what I try and do is I try to give as much value to candidates as I can because I know that I I won't place them or very, very few of them, but if at least I can support them and help them through their job search journey, then they'll think fondly of me. And I think probably a little bit like you, Renee, you know, my personal um, ethics or, you know, I just feel if I'm happy and helpful, the universe will look after me. So, oh. you know, I that's that's my um that's, my that my that's my meaning of life. Just be happy and helpful. Yeah, and be in service. You know, exactly. I, I have an abundance mindset, and you know, I, it's interesting. You know, words mean different things to people. And I ran something recently on reimagining success and what that means. And in the Miriam Dictionary, it's all about material asset success. And for a lot of people it is. And someone said, what is it for you, Renee? And I said, you know, hi to COVID, we lost everything. We're still rebuilding. If it was about the money, I would have got out then. Mm. And I said success for me is, is for me personally, is seeing my clients realise and achieve limitless potential. Mm. Like whether they're business owners, they're leaders, whether it's helping with career transition, team collaboration programs, whatever it is, it's the outcome of that 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 is success. And I look, I, I've had a read through your book and I've actually given it to one of my clients who is in the midst of looking for a role at the moment. Um, before we jump into the book, I'd love to just ask you what has changed in the job search industry, especially post-COVID? What have you what have been the major shifts? Okay, well, perhaps uh, there's a. I suppose there's two different angles to this. One as the employer, yeah, and one as the job seeker. So, um, uh, okay, so one of the things that you know they spoke about a lot, you know, after COVID was this idea of the great resignation, and you know it got a lot of media attention, and you know consultants were making a big deal out of it and selling. You know what I called it? I called it, and I shook it up a bit. The great rejuvenation. Right. Well, you know, I think that that is a more positive way to look at it. But I suppose, um, you know, I'm writing a new book, Winning the War for Talent, and I talk about this is that uh, historically, if you go back to, say, the 2000 
five, um, average professional tenure or um, was three years. Yeah. 30, 33% of people were actively looking for a new job at any one time. Yeah. We we get to 2022, 2023, average professional tenure is three years. On average, 33% are act- actively looking for a new job. So nothing has really changed. So why do people talk about the great resignation? Mm-hmm. Because during COVID, there were a lot of people who said, you know what, I'd like to change my job. However, it's too risky. What if I go to a new company and I get sick? What if I get to a new company and they're negatively impacted by COVID? So I'm just going to stay here, safe harbour in a storm. I'm going to ride out COVID. And then once COVID's behind us, then I'll move. So there's really nothing has changed. It's just that there was a bottleneck for a short period. And and that bottleneck has now been removed. Okay. However, in saying that, what COVID created was um, a much more flexible workforce. Mm. People, you know, prior to COVID would, you know, say, oh, my God, if I could work from home one day a week, that would be amazing. You know, now we're a headhunter. If we're headhunting people, they say, look, if I can't work from home at least three days a week, I'm not interested. Yeah. Right? So um, that whole dynamic has changed. Now, Mm. In some respects, that's great for employers because, you know, they can reduce their expenses in terms of having office facilities. They can have people working remotely, even internationally. But, you know, managing culture and engagement with a workforce that's entirely, you know, working from home, which is the case in my business, you know, can be challenging. Yeah, definitely. From the candidate's point of view, um, Again, so if we talk about the job market now, the job market is extremely buoyant. There is a lot of opportunity. All these people that didn't move during COVID are moving. That creates vacancy. Um, vacancy is excellent for people who are looking for a new job. However, and it opens up new roles too because companies then look at you know the the the, the structure. Completely, of- that's absolutely true. The challenge then is that there's also a lot of other people looking for a new job. If a recruiter puts an ad on Seek or on LinkedIn or wherever and they get 100-plus applications, they are only interested in the squarest pegs for the square holes. Recruiters are lazy and stupid, right? They just want to get the job done, get it filled, get paid and move on. So for people who are applying for jobs that are not, they're not an exact square peg for, it's very hard. Mm. Big button. I'm seeing a lot of that. I, I had a client that recently went for a role and they said, perfect, she had three interviews and then she didn't get the role and she was quite shocked and I'm very big into feedback. I said, go back and ask, you know, what you could have changed or done differently and they said nothing but we had basically a version of you who had been in this industry. Well, I mean, okay, so in that particular situation, and obviously I don't know the, 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 the details, but you'd say, well, wow, at least she got to third interview, right? So, right. um, right. and but, the process was good for her. You know, we always say that. So, yeah. So, yeah. but the, the other the other thing about it, Renee, is that at least 80% of the best jobs, they never even get advertised, no, they never no, get to a recruiter. I so, to talk about that. Mm. yeah. So, you know, the thing is for people who are limiting their job search, 
to only talking to recruiters or seeing ROS are advertised. Number one, they're seeing a very small percentage of the real ROS. Number two, the competition for those roles is very, very high. And so they could be lucky and, you know, uh, and win a role fairly quickly, or they may be in the open market for a long time. So what I, I've advocated to candidates for at least 10 years is the absolute opportunity for you is to get in front of the employer before the employer knows that they need you. And if you can demonstrate that you can solve their problems and take away their pain, they will hire you even if they don't have a vacancy. Yeah. Big, big fan of this. And I I think it used to be probably 15 years ago, it was about 70% of jobs aren't advertised and now it's 80. And I'm a big advocate for this. And I, if you're listening or watching, I always say, you know, I'm a big believer in don't do what you're good at, do what you're good at that you enjoy. So make sure you know what that looks like. Mm. Then don't even think of a role, but think of an industry that you're curious about that lights you up. Mm. Go to their website, LinkedIn now, we all know LinkedIn, and we'll talk about that in recruitment, LinkedIn is an animal. Like it, it can, if you use it the right way and leverage it, you can get on to anyone in any business and you're right, then you're top of mind. So it's just a proactive, I guess, versus a reactive approach to job search. That, that's exactly right. From both sides of the equation, yeah. Yeah. you know, LinkedIn came out, uh, they realised fairly quickly that LinkedIn was not as it was originally intended, just a place for people to connect with old colleagues, et cetera, but it was a recruiter's goldmine. So they created a thing called LinkedIn Recruiter, which is a tool It's very expensive, but we utilise it all day, every day, where you can literally go into LinkedIn and you can do keyword searches to find very particular candidates. What's happened from a hiring point of view, though, is that a lot of employers have engaged internal recruitment teams and said, look, we've got a LinkedIn recruiter license, so we're just going to reach out, send some emails and hope, pray that the right person comes back. So from both sides, the employer, they need to be much more proactive in actually headhunting passive talent. And from the employee's point of view, they need to be much more proactive in reaching out to their employers of choice. Um, And so LinkedIn is an incredible asset, but it also can, in some respects, make people a little bit lazy. It can. It can. And sometimes spread the net too wide, widely. Well, you know? True. Um, so if, if you're, so, well, let's talk about the job seekers out there. And I mean, they, I know there's a lot, there's a lot of movement in, I do, I work in mid-tier corporate across 24 industries and there's movement everywhere. There's restructures, you know, there's a lot going on. And, you know, like you said, there's people that have waited to get really past COVID to look for their next opportunity or they've suddenly gone, I want to do my own thing. You know, it's like one in three are having a side hustle. They want to get purpose from that. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on. But for those out there, and we do a bit of brand, uh, personal branding and LinkedIn branding, but I'd love your tips on if you are looking for a role and you're, I get asked this a bit, and you're actually you actually have left your job, so you're unemployed. Do you are you better having looking for next opportunity in this, or are you better having what I call your movie title, experienced FMCG professional? Ah, uh, that's an excellent question. Yeah. Okay, so two, I suppose two different things. 
if I understand you correctly. So one of the things that you can do is you can put a little ring around your photo. It says looking for work or open for work or something like that. Yeah. Now, if you're legitimately looking for a new job, then absolutely you should put that there. Yeah. Because, you know, if a recruiter or, or an employer sees that, they're going to be, if they go, oh, wow, Renee looks fantastic, you know, she could be awesome on our team. Oh, and she's open to work. I think that's what it's called, open to work. So that's great, right? Yeah. Obviously, you wouldn't put that there if you were still currently employed, right? Okay. Then the next thing is that what LinkedIn does, uh, uh, LinkedIn Recruiter does, is, uh, again, going back to the comment I made earlier, when we're trying to find people, we're putting in keywords. Yeah. Okay. Now, somebody – and so underneath your name, um, you'll have uh, your headline, right? Now, some people will try and make that, you know, flowery or artistic or, you know, amazing leader who's excellent at managing change or whatever, right? Understanding, though, as a recruiter, we never search on that. No. Okay. That's a good thing to put in your about section. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but as a recruiter, we are searching on job title and industry. Chief executive officer, chief financial officer, you know, management accountant, sales manager, right? So what I recommend, and certainly, um, uh, you know, if people want to read my book, I talk about this in great detail, is that with your headline, what you want to do with your headline is put the role families that you want to be found for. Yes, yeah. Okay. Now, the fortunate thing is is quite you can actually put in three lines of text there now. Yeah. So, you know, I might put in, well, for example, um, I might put in, let's assume I'm looking for a new job, I might put in sales manager, business development manager, yeah. key account manager, engineering, construction, oil and gas, yeah. right? So that way then if a recruiter is um, – is saying, oh, we need to recruit a new sales manager in oil and gas, and they put in those keywords, because you've got that in your headline, you yes, will you rank more highly. Yeah, that's such a great tip. So what you're saying is put in the titles you're looking for and the industry you're looking for. Exactly. And then all of that lovely, you know, I'm an amazing manager that, you know, enjoys um, transformational yeah. change and blah, blah, blah. Put that in your about section. The the other thing while we're just on this too, what I see a lot of people do is that then in their LinkedIn profile, their career history, it literally just looks like a summary. Okay, from 2021 to 2023, I worked for James Hardy as a sales manager. And then the role before that, and then the role before that. I talk about it, I'm sure you've heard this expression before, Renee, you've got to sell the sizzle, not the steak right? And so a lot of LinkedIn profiles have got a lot of stake in them, but they don't have much sizzle. I want to know as an executive recruiter, why are you awesome? Yeah. So you need to tell me through talking about your key achievements and you need to make those as quantifiable as possible. You know, I I grew market share. More of a summary and then you might put past roles. You in, in under no no underneath each of your roles yeah. exactly as you would with your CV. Yeah. You go okay. Key responsibilities three or four bullet points. Key achievements, but make sure that those key achievements are awesome. Yeah. You know, I grew revenue by X. I reduced costs by Y. We increased market share by Z. Whatever the things are that you would hang your hat on, and yeah. you would say, "This is why I'm bloody good at my job." I love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's really going. It's really going back to basics, and I think you know those of you that out there that are looking, you know, and officially looking for work, you know, some great tips there. I think two professional photos are, are no brainer. Yep. Um, and what I love, what I love about LinkedIn, I do a lot of work on um, motivational patterns and meta programs. So everyone is convinced by seeing doing, reading or hearing. Everyone has a different preference. LinkedIn's covered it, I don't think intentionally. So as a recruiter looking at you or as a hiring manager going the other way, you know, the seeing is a visual of you and what you're putting up. The hearing from reliable sources is your recommendations. Yep. Doing is a hands-on try this or come to this. And obviously reading is what you're talking about, which is the backing yourself up in the about section. Can I ask? Yeah. I just make one point on that too. You know, even for somebody, what I talk about is this idea of zero moment of truth, right? Zero moment of truth is a marketing expression. It's like if I want to buy a new car, if I go to the car yard to see the car, that is the first moment of truth. The zero moment of truth is the research I do on the car before I go to the car yard. You know, I'm watching reviews, I'm reading brochures, I'm looking at websites, et cetera. That is what your LinkedIn profile is. It's a zero moment of truth. So as a candidate, understand every recruiter, every hiring manager is looking at your LinkedIn profile before they choose to talk to you. But on the other side of the coin, as a hiring manager, it's the same thing. Every future employee, supplier, contractor, customer, everything, they're looking at your LinkedIn profile. So if they look at your LinkedIn profile and they go, oh, my God, this person looks pretty uninspiring. Yeah, it's all over. They don't want to come and work for you or they don't want to buy from you or they don't want to sell to you. So, you know. um, I think. Yeah. Your book, Uncover the Hidden Job Market, How to Find and Win Your Next Senior Executive Role, has some really good, like really good breakout chapters and clear and on-point strategies around everything we're talking about. So we will, how do people get your book? Well, look, if they want a physical copy, uh, they can buy it obviously uh, through Amazon or it is being distributed through certain bookstores. If they want a free PDF version of the book, you know, they can certainly contact me and, uh, uh, and you know, the first edition of the book, I think we sold over 10,000 copies. Right. And um, and so really, I, I wrote that not to make money. And I, I, as an author, I don't know about you, but no, uh, I, I've never made any money from writing books. But it, I, I did it because, you know, I want to be of service to come back to the point that you were making earlier. Right. Um, yeah. And so, uh, look, uh, those who, who would like it, you know, can um, email me at... Um, uh, Richard T at arataexecutive.com.au or find me on LinkedIn or whatever. And uh, you're very welcome um, uh, to get a free copy of the book. Oh, amazing. We'll put all that in the show notes as well. Um, I wanted to ask you just, just, you know, I believe we're all leaders of self, leaders of decisions, and maybe leaders of others. What, who's a leader that you admire and why? Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, I get asked this question occasionally and Rather than you know go to oh Richard Branson or Mahatma Gandhi or whatever you know I, what 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 I find uh, most inspiring is somebody who is able to balance being a professional 
as well as potentially being in a relationship or being a parent and and being able to do those jobs well and do it from a holistic perspective to me that is true leadership i mean you know well, if you yeah you, you you could go and look at for example elon musk and you could go oh my god what an amazing leader and look at all these transformational you know new technologies and his vision for the world and and so on and so forth but you know is is there a, an appropriate balance across the other elements of his life and maybe there is i'm not in any way saying that there's not but um yeah so uh i i get the opportunity to meet and talk to leaders across a broad range of industries um all day every day that's my job and uh I, I think somebody with humility that is able to just competently go about what they do and still have a um, uh, a rich and uh, wonderful life is very inspiring to me. I love that. And you've heard about the mirror, I'm sure, Richard. People that we admire usually have traits we have within ourselves. Oh, for sure, and the opposite of that is true too. Yeah. You know, if, uh, people oh, who sc- people yeah. who scratch us, yeah. you know, the, uh, uh, scratch us meaning they you know frustrate or annoy us. It's often because we're seeing them what we're not prepared to see in ourselves. That's you're spot on. You're spot on. I'm I'm actually in the midst of doing a lot of emotional clearing work. I'm quite right. very intuitive. Always have been, and bringing that into even career transition coaching. So clearing emotions and blockages around all of that, which is, it is next level profound. So I love hearing that. Um, So just quickly, what helps people? So hidden job market, so look at the jobs that are advertised, but take a step back and really go, where do I, what industry do I want to work in and approach them and be proactive? How do you feel AI such as ChatGPT having a role in helping with cover letters and refining CVs? Well, I suppose um, uh, I, I I don't think I'm late to the party because I think that party has only really just started, right? But it, So I'm not really the best person uh, to talk about that because I don't have a lot of experience, except to say that, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there who say, oh, let me write your CV or your LinkedIn profile for you and I'm going to charge you an exorbitant amount of money. And certainly if you are completely, you know, illiterate and incapable of writing something, then, you know, that might be a good investment. But reality is my perspective on a link, on a, a CV or a LinkedIn profile, it just needs to be good enough to get you to the meeting. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't need to be 10 out of 10. 8 out of 10 is fine. So, you know, can I, a... Uh, uh, chat GPT writes you an eight out of 10 CV. Well, it probably can if you're giving it the right information, right? And and the thing about it, again, coming back to my comment earlier, you know, you've got to sell the sizzle, not the steak, right? Um, I want to know what have you done that's awesome? And so unless you're actually telling chat GPT that, I don't know how chat GPT could turn around and make a, a better CV for you. Yeah. And then the next comment you made was about cover letters. So, you know, I've been in executive recruitment for 20 years. I can tell you I never, ever, ever, ever read a covering letter, ever. Even though many jobs request them. 
If a job requests it, then obviously you would need to write it. More often than not, if a job requests it, it's because the employer is recruiting it directly themselves. And even then, if I had to bet my last $1,000, I would say they probably don't read it. So so don't put stuff in a covering letter that should be in your CV. Don't assume that they're reading it. You know, if we get 100-plus applications for a job, your CV is literally getting 15 seconds consideration. And unless within 15 seconds I can go, yep, this person looks great, I want to talk to them, you're going to go into the dreaded TNT or thanks but no thanks pile. So could chat, chat GPT assist you in being more exciting in that first 15 seconds? I don't know. Um, similarly, from an employer's point of view, can you rely on, on artificial intelligence to bring a pool of applicants down to a relevant shortlist? There's an interesting documentary on uh, uh, Netflix a little while ago. I can't recall exactly what its name was, but this woman – um, was investigating because a lot of these programs are written by white men. Yeah, yeah. They have an unconscious bias to discriminate against non-white men with certain qualifications, and okay. so not that not that they intentionally right, wanted to, but but they were excluding people who lived at the wrong. You know, if you live in this suburb, there's a, you're less likely to be this or that or whatever, and so. If you're a lot, because some people, they're just not very good at writing a CV. So if I if I have AI dictating to me who I interview, and Renee's amazing, but her CV is not very good, therefore she doesn't get through the AI filter, what an incredible opportunity lost. So I think we need to be very careful. Yeah. At the end of the day, we are humans selling human opportunities to humans. Um I'm sure AI has a role to play, yeah. but it, it, in my opinion, it it can't replace, no. um, you know, the things we're talking about. No, I totally agree. I, I say, you know, ramp up AI, use AI if you need to, but ramp up the human skills, and that's all the work I, I, I do, Richard, all around the soft skills and the EQ and being human. And I think use it in moderation, but I do know some people that are doing everything on it and, that's just that's not me. I I like you. We we lead with our thoughts. So we well, uh, yeah. I mean, what I laugh about on Facebook, I see these ads. You know, write five books in a day using AI. Right. You know, pay for this service, and you can write a five books in a day. It's like, but it's not your book. No, and people won't hear. <laughs> your like now, I've I've met you, so to speak, through through this <laughs> this interview. I can hear your voice in the book and I get that feedback too. People go, oh, my God, gift mindset. I feel I can hear your voice reading it. Mm. Yeah, I, I, somebody said to me, oh, Richard, we, can you do an audible version of the book, right? Yeah. So I went to the studio, the biggest studio that does those in Australia, and um, I said, oh, I'd like to do an audible version of my book. And she said, oh, do you want to do you want to? speak it yourself, whatever, dictating yeah. yourself or get somebody to do it. I said, look, I'd like to do it myself. So she said, okay, well, just read a chapter and send me the recording. And uh, she came back to me. She goes, look, Richard, I think you need a professional voice, you yeah. know, uh, person. But then when I listened, she said, look, let me send you a few examples of um, some of the people we use. I listened to them. I went, but that's not my voice. No, that's right. I, I uh, did mine in the studio for Audible and I did it. 
I did. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can't imagine somebody else reading my book. So uh, I think I just need to do a bit more practice. Cross <laughs> well, really well. I'm a bit, a bit surprised. Hey, just last question. You know, there is a skill shortage and they're saying now, I think it's 2029, it'll be like most roles will be based on soft skills because of all this technology coming through. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I think it's certainly true. Um, uh, there's a, a great documentary on, uh, I think it's on YouTube. It's a few years old now. It's called um, "Humans Need Not Apply," okay. right? And 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 it's talking about how, you know, the agricultural revolution. So there are all these people, and then they invented agricultural machinery, and so there were less people required to work on farms. So then those people all moved into the cities and worked in factories. And then there was the industrial revolution where the factories became automated and so the people weren't working in the factories anymore, so then they moved into service jobs. And then now there's this new revolution, particularly around AI. And so you look at some roles, like, I mean, how much 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if you were a lawyer, it was like, oh, my God, you're a lawyer. Wow, like that is, oh, that's a profession. 40, I, I think in this documentary, they're saying that at least 40 to 50% of lawyers won't have a job anymore because yeah. all of the precedent work that they do be you know, will, will now be done by AI. Yeah. Radi radiographers, radiologists looking at x-rays, truck driver, you, you know, it, it's going to have. Printing even. but Absolutely. So it's going to have a massive impact. So what is going to happen to those people because they need to be gainfully employed yeah. Um, but a lot of this traditional skill set that we valued will no longer be valued. Absolutely. It is, you know, um, it is this idea. I remember, I read another book. Um, it was saying success is IQ plus EQ plus NQ, yeah. NQ being your networking um, quotient, yeah. you know, the size and the value of your community and so on. So um, really, uh, that is one of the only ways that you'll continue to be relevant and successful is to actually, coming back to our original point right at the beginning, yeah. Renee, is to just be happy and helpful. Be happy, you know, helpful, be happy, helpful and, and human. And, and lead a life of service, you know. Yeah. Um, AI will not be able to replace, you know, the ability to actually communicate and build empathy oh. and. Um, but perhaps in the future it will. Yeah. You know. And it's and it's and it's a good I mean at the moment I think the latest stat is 71% of hiring managers are hiring on EQ not IQ. So this is this is actually this whole soft skills and this empathy and this you know um courageous leadership all these things that sort of come from head heart and your intuition I really, they've been around a long time. I've been doing this work for 17 years, but yeah. really there's an awakening around it. I'm I'm seeing it and it's so right. I, I Do you know what, Renee? I would really question that statistic, 71% of hiring uh, hiring on EQ. They might be in that, oh, look, you know, when I hire somebody, I trust yeah. my gut, right? But the reality is a no, lot no, of them make. Hiring, sorry, I didn't say clearly. Hiring people based on 
the candidate. Oh, I see. Okay, so I'm with e- you. E- right. Versus IQ. So there's some big consultancies that I've done work with that you had to have two degrees to work for. Not the case now. Well, look at what's happening, that. right? Look yeah. what, at what's happening with a lot of these big consultancies yeah. and all the trouble that they're getting into yeah. now because they've hired the, the smartest guy in the room or the smartest yeah. person in the room, but they don't have the uh the balance of good ethics and morality right so so i okay i hear you they're now putting a greater emphasis on eq than iq that's that's right yeah right is which is really you know really refreshing and we do a lot of work, Richard, on the te- we use the ECR, the Roach Mar- uh, Roach Martin Emotional Capital Report, which is profound. We've brought it into our business last year, but it looks at the ten competencies of EQ, where you sit and where others see you, and your gaps. Mm-hmm. It's like optimism, empathy, straightforwardness, self knowing, all these things that 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 sort of wording wouldn't have even been around years ago, but people get it. We could talk all day. So I've got some quick trivia for you. <laughs> always do on the Limitless Leaders podcast. All right. Your favourite word. Oh, are you allowed to say that word online? <laughs> uh, you can do the beep sounds. Uh, I can do the beep sounds. Well, what would be my favourite word? Without thinking too hard about it, I would say resilience. Yeah, it's a beautiful word. The word in itself, yeah, comes. You know, it comes from a Latin word "resilier," which means to bounce back. Yeah, and I look. I think any true adult has had to bounce back over and over and over again. So yeah. it's not if it's not if you get knocked down. It's about whether you stand back up again. Yeah, spot on, spot on. What sound do you love? What sound do I love? Uh, I love, I'm a guitarist and I love uh, the sound of a Les Paul played through a Marshall amp at very high volume. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> rock and roll, man. Yeah, rock and roll. You, you need to have that as your ringtone on here. <laughs> Beauty, so cooking's my passion out of work. I'd love to ask you, last night on this beautiful planet, what would be your last meal? Wow, that's an excellent question too. I I often play this game with my friends. So, um, you know, when I was uh, growing up, my mum, who was not a particularly good cook, but uh, uh, we used to have our birthday meal and we were allowed to pick our birthday meal. And so um, uh, I would always have beef wellington uh, followed by her uh, her baked cheesecake. And so, you know, Look, I love, I'm a, an absolute gourmet enthusiast. I run the Brisbane Long Lunch Club. Yeah. I love cooking and entertaining and so on. So, you know, I can go, oh, fagoire or, you know, yeah. whatever it might be. But I at the end, nostalgic meals. That's right. You know, if it was my last meal, I'd go, yeah, I'll have my mum's beef wellington and uh, cheesecake. That's beautiful. Yeah. I say food, food. Is, is a time machine to our memories. I'm actually running cooking and leadership retreats at the moment. Oh, that's excellent. I've been, uh, uh, yeah, lovely. Well, you'll have to invite me. Yeah, definitely. And last question, if you were to go into a different profession, what would that be? Well, you know, I had grand aspirations of being a rock and roll star, but uh, that didn't come to play. Um, but uh 
I, I recently trained as a psychotherapist yeah. and uh, I did about three years training, but I realized I'm not a very good psychotherapist because I'm not patient enough. So I think I'd be a stand-up comedian. Yeah, amazing. And a, and a podcaster. Look, if, if Joe Rogan can sell his podcast to Spotify for $100 million, Wow. You know, what are we doing, Renee? We should we should be making $200 million. What that? I, I resonate with the stand-up <laughs> comedian. I got asked the other day, third time in a week, do you do stand-up comedy? Because I do have a bit of fun and very jovial. And I think humour, humour is the spice of life, you know. It makes you smile. It makes your heart sing. It makes someone else smile. Yep. Pretty cool. So, Richard, um, we'll have all, all your details in the show notes so you can reach out, grab a copy of the book, even um, contact Richard to get a free copy of the book um, and look at all the great work he's doing in the recruitment space across Australia. Richard, thank you so much for being with us today. It is an absolute honour and a privilege and uh, I look forward to reciprocating soon. Yes, it sounds good. So thanks to you who have been listening or viewing um, reach out to Richard. It is a great book. I have read it and people that know me know I will not refer a book unless I really love it. Um, also, keep an eye out for our public events and access all our in-house programs, including our online program, Supercharge Working Remotely. It's an online, self-paced, eight-module program and you can access the first module for free. And it just looks at how you can adapt, adjust and amplify the way you work from anywhere. So jump on reneegeruso.com, go to programs and feel free to access that. Take care and we look forward to seeing you, hearing you or having you chime in to our next episode. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Leaders podcast. So you don't miss an episode, make sure you follow the show in your favorite podcast app. Feel free to share this podcast with your family, friends, and work colleagues. If you're enjoying the show, find out more on what we do at RG Dynamics at www.renegeruso.com. Until next time, be limitless.